It is just about dusk. The sun is set and what little light there is makes passers-by on the street look even more indistinct, anonymous, faceless. Of course, during the pandemic, with so many people wearing masks across half our face, anonymity is almost ubiquitous. Even when people would otherwise recognize each other, like friends and acquaintances, they might walk by unnoticed, unrecognized. For introverts, this must be one of the few meager upsides to this time of deep anxiety. And you can even appreciate having less random awkward run-ins these days. But tonight, in the waning October light, fate has something else in store for you. For a few minutes now, the streets have been empty. Not an uncanny or uncommon occurrence during these days of lockdown, but there is still something unnerving about the silence. And then, as you round the corner onto a side street heading towards your house, there stands before you on the sidewalk a solitary figure, a young woman plainly dressed with a plain white surgical mask. There's something unsettling about her presence. Perhaps as simple as the fact that she's not moving, just standing there, not walking along. The mask is not uncommon these days. And yet you continue to approach her because turning around or crossing to the other side of the street would be, well, weird. Why are you being so paranoid? Maybe she's lost or she's... If she was checking her phone, it wouldn't even seem strange at all. You regain your composure, take a deep breath and straighten up. These are strange times, so no need to freak out about something so small. As you pass her, you feel a gentle tug at your coat sleeve. You turn and find yourself facing her, and abruptly she asks you, Do you think I'm pretty? You freeze. This is beyond the pale. You don't need this right now. Maybe she's off her meds? Oh, that's a nasty thought. You reprimand yourself in your head. Mental illness is a serious business. But seriously, who is this woman? Do you think I'm pretty? Her tone is slightly more insistent, and though quiet, it's also vaguely threatening, and you just want to be out of this situation as quickly as possible. Not to mention, she's inching closer and is definitely breaking the CDC distancing guidelines. Um, <clears throat> yes, you stutter, but to be honest, there's no way you could know that for sure. But going on her eyes, which are pleasant, it seems a safe assumption. So you don't feel like you're lying. Still, this is crazy. Why aren't you just walking away? Why did you even answer at all? This person needs help, but not yours. But before you could put more than the suggested six feet of distance between the two of you, things take a terrifying turn. She removes her face mask. And before you can give one thought to the fear of viral transmission, or judge her for her disregard for the seriousness of the virus, you are taken aback by what lies beneath that thin white strip of cloth. Her mouth is a violent gash, a twisted toothy grin, elongated by what look like raw cuts or scars, going from the edges of her mouth almost all the way up to her ears. It's the bloody, exaggerated smile of a madwoman, a mutilated monster. You cannot move. You want to run as far as you, fast as you can, yet you feel glued to the spot as she opens that ghastly grin to ask a clarifying second question.
Welcome to Monsters in My Podcast, Episode 1, Kuchi Sakeona, or The Slipmouthed Woman. Hello, I'm Sean McGee, and I'll be guiding you through the rumors, legends, and histories of everything monstrous. Each week on this podcast, I'll be doing a deep dive into one particular monster. As this is the first episode, bear with me as we work out the kinks, but before we begin, I would like to give you a little background. For a while, I've been wanting to do a show about mythology or folklore of some kind, but there are millions of topics and countless regions to cover under such a broad umbrella. Trying to pick a single region, like Japanese, Slavic, or Irish mythology, felt like a great way to narrow the focus, but there are many experts in each of these fields of study already doing them greater justice. Besides, I couldn't pick just one regional folk folklore to explore. One day while boxing up some vintage toys during a move, I found myself fiddling with a little rubber figurine of a werewolf. And that's when it hit me. Monsters. Monsters rule, okay? Let's get that right out of the way at the beginning. If you're not into monsters, this probably isn't the show for you. But you might actually be into monsters and not even know it. So stick around. And while I know there are plenty of podcasts out there dealing with monsters, they seem to fall into two realms predominantly. Hollywood movie monsters and uh, kaiju like Godzilla um, or cryptids. For those of you who don't recognize the latter, and I apologize to those who do, happy hunting, it refers to creatures studied under cryptozoology, um, which is the study of animals and beings rumored to exist but yet to be scientifically verified or at least up for some serious debate. Like Bigfoot, the Chupacabra, or the Loch Ness Monster. And while I love both of these realms, and we will be covering both, much like the line of mini figurines I spent all my pocket money at KB Toys back in the early 90s on, I'm interested in more than just these two realms of fantastic beasts. In a way though, these two classifications will serve as a broad spectrum of what we'll loosely call monsters. Um, and will serve also as a great set of poles in the life of a mythical creature, beginning life as uh, a local rumor or a humble cryptid found in the woods or a lake, possibly a ghost story or an old wives' tale, soon brought into the public consciousness as a legend, even adopted by regional religion as part of their grand mythology or a pantheon of beings, and maybe one day making it big on the silver screen. In this podcast, we won't just be exploring the polar ends of the monster spectrum, but absolutely everything in between, from children's stories to ghost tales to indigenous folklore, classical mythology, literary villains, even gods and demons. The creatures of humankind's imagination abound. So without further ado, welcome one and all to the inaugural episode of Monsters in My Podcast, episode one. monster is Kuchi Sakeana, or the Slipmouth Woman, 
an Enria or vengeful spirit that rose to fame through urban legends in 1970s and 80s Japan, and maybe before. This malevolent masked woman is an example of the peculiar type of Japanese monster known as a yokai, and a very modern one at that. So before we peek behind the mask of Kuchisake Ona, what exactly is a yokai? Now I could spend an entire episode on this subject, but since there are hundreds, even thousands of individual yokai, and I aim to dedicate some episodes to a lot of them, I'll make this brief, just give a light overview of the incredibly rich topic of yokai. The actual word yokai in Japanese is made up of the kanji for the following uh, aspects, fairy, sprite, or elf, and then ghost, apparition, or phantom, also demon, monster, giant, or goblin, and even natural disaster. Some of the descriptive compounds in the kanji could also mean mysterious, bewitching, alluring, or enticing, enchanting. And while that sure sounds like a lot, and even a bit contradictory, it does pretty much sum up yokai. Yokai are all of these things. Yokai traditionally begin life in ghost stories or urban legends, but it's important to note that, like the fairy folk of the Celtic tradition, or many of the spirits of indigenous animism, that's religions where aspects of nature and animals have spirits, they range widely from malevolent to benevolent. In other words, yokai aren't always just bad, and the ones that are may not actually actively pursue to harm human beings. But as with the yokai of today's episode, serve as a kind of trap or puzzle, uh, something to either escape or fail to escape, occasionally with violent consequences. Yokai usually reflect the era in which they were conceived or, depending on your perspective, discovered. So while the majority of early yokai have animal qualities being rooted in forest or pastoral life from a country with deep animistic beliefs, some stemming from the Shinto faith, Later yokai begin to inhabit the form of inanimate objects, uh, like the kasa obake, a one-eyed umbrella monster that hops around like a pogo stick. In more recent post-industrial times, they often appear as more humanoid, um, even as in the case with Kuchisake Ana, fooling the victim into thinking that they're just an ordinary human being, until it's too late. Like many of the mythical creatures we'll explore from around the world, they have also, in the 20th century and beyond, gained notoriety in pop culture. In fact, even before the 20th century. In the 1700s, in Japan, the popularity of artistic renditions of yokai on decorative scrolls boomed. And nowadays, thanks to the pioneering art of Shigura Mizuki, yokai frolic and cause mischief and horror in the pages of Japanese manga and the frames of animated films like Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Most recognizable of all would be the wide world of Pokemon, or pocket monsters as the name connotes, whose ranks include many creatures inspired by, or like in the case of Ninetales, uh, which is clearly a kitsune, a direct replicas of yokai. And don't worry, Ninetales fans, there will be a kitsune episode in the future. That third category of yokai, which have existed alongside the animals in inanimate form since the beginning, but have evolved to reflect the society of the day, are those humanoid yokai, who early on might have been the spirits of deceased priests haunting their old temple, or an onryo wronged in life taking revenge on the living, and are more recognizable to a Western audience as a traditional ghost. Which brings us to today's yokai, a very modern woman of the very modern yokai world, Kuchisake Ona. We'll dig deeper into the myriad yokai in later episodes, 
But today we're going to encounter a yokai that truly embodies the hypnotic push and pull, attraction and revulsion, somehow both alluring and repulsive and horrifying and deadly at once. An encounter with the Kuchisake Ona, or the Slipmouth Woman, is simple in its horror. A small set of branching paths in which the victim's choices determine the outcome, like a choose-your-own-adventure. From a best-case scenario of terrifying to the far more likely option of deadly. In some versions of the legend, Kuchisake Ona's mouth is hidden coyly by a paper fan. But more often she's wearing a plain white medical mask of the kind quite common in Asian countries and operating rooms. Until recently, of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, where mask wearing has become commonplace worldwide. Not that everyone does it. She is plainly dressed, slight of build, and one would assume attractive based solely on her hair and eyes. And once you approach her, she asks you, in Japanese, it would be, Watashi kire? Do you think I'm pretty? At this point, your fate is in your own hands. This is where the branching paths start to split. If you were to say no, she would slash at your throat or stab you with a pair of scissors. If you say yes, well, it's only the beginning. Removing her mask, she'll reveal a horrible sight. Her mouth is split into a, what's called a Glasgow smile, which got its name for this very violent mutilation performed by street gangs in Scotland and England in the 1920s and 30s. The corners of the mouth slash upward with a blade of some kind toward each ear, creating an exaggerated and bloody grin like the Joker in the Dark Knight. Kore Domo, she asks. How about now? Anyone would be frozen in fear. Unfortunately, if you have made it this far, by most tellings of the legend, you're doomed no matter what you say. If you say no, she kills you. Some accounts claiming she'll cut you in half with some supernatural strength or with those scissors. If you say yes, while you may make it out alive, your fate is still quite unfortunate. Since you seem, from your own admission, to find Kuchisake Ona quite pretty, mutilation and all, you might as well be made pretty as well. To make you look just like Some sources place the origin of Kuchisake Ona in the Edo period of Japan, from the 17th to 19th centuries. But the most concrete evidence is of a wave of sightings and rumors coming from the late 1970s. In the winter of 1978, in the Gifu Prefecture in central Japan, when reports in local newspapers led to hysteria among school children and their families, Soon many children who would normally walk, home, walk to school alone and walk home alone were accompanied by chaperones from parent-teacher associations. By the summer of 1979, the rumors had spread so far they'd gone to every corner of Japan, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a Japanese child that hadn't heard some anecdote about the horrifying slit-mouthed woman. Kuchisake Ana is the perfect monster to introduce this podcast, Beyond simply repeating the stories of encounters with these creatures, I'd like to examine how rumor becomes legend, becomes canon, becomes pop culture. Every fantastic beast or cryptid evolves through these stages at some point. Some linger longer in one or two, uh, but they really illuminate our human myth-making process. And the Slipmouth Woman of Japan is an excellent example of this. While, like I mentioned earlier, some scholars think her story begins alongside other vengeful spirits, 
or Onryo, of the Edo period, most notable activity happens in the late 20th century, making her a relatively young and recent yokai. In fact, according to translator Zach Davison, she wasn't truly given yokai classification until the prolific manga artist Shigeru Mizuki included her in one of his illustrated yokai encyclopedias. What is and isn't a yokai is a complicated topic, with the usual, usual polar influences of academic thinking and local folkloric tradition. What makes a yokai? Is it the authenticity of a grandmother's ghost story? Or is it the stamp of approval by a scholar or artist, or someone with a doctorate in folklore and mythology? I'd argue that it's a little bit of both. But there is a third influence. Usually after a monster escapes the rural rumor and enters into urban and scholastic study, the next realm is hitting the big time. With Mizuki's help, Kuchisake Ana not only graduated from urban legend on par with razors and apples on Halloween here in the States, to an official yokai, but to pop stardom. Manga, like comics in the U.S., are visual storytelling, but unlike American comics, they are vastly more popular. So it was only a matter of time before the allure and horror of Kuchisake Ana hit the silver screen. Carved and Carved 2 are two horror movies by director Koji Shirashi, leaning heavily on the 70s urban rumors of Kuchisake Ana terrorizing children on the street. She's made appearances also in video games and even an animated Studio Ghibli film, Pom Poco. After the break, we'll dig into the psychology of the slipmouth woman and how different her legend feels today in the midst of a pandemic. Today's episode is brought to you by Dare Danger Dan. Would you like to see the Necronomicon get a facelift? How about a skeleton dance party? How about a bat with cats for wings? Yep, I said it. A bat with cats for wings. How about a Sasquatch shaving? Ever have dinner with a xenomorph? If any of these spooky and ridiculous scenarios intrigue you, then you desperately need Dare Danger Dan. The weekly live art show where you can suggest topics and situations for Danger Dan to draw on the spot. Catch him live weekly and pitch an idea on twitch.tv slash daredangerdan. Or watch previous episodes on YouTube at Studios and also on Instagram at IamDangerDan. Now, back to the monster at hand. Welcome back to Monster in My Podcast. An encounter with Kuchisaki Ona in 2020 might sneak up on you a little easier, considering how common this exact type of mask that she wears has become. For the record, this humble podcast host asks that you please wear a mask. It's not political, and it saves lives. But while we're on that topic, the topic of how controversial wearing a mask can be, particularly here in the States, it's interesting to note that throughout Asia, for years, mask wearing for the health of oneself but more often for the health of others, has been common for decades. It's not controversial at all there, and it's been common practice to wear a mask even with just minor cold symptoms. Sometimes just coming out of the hospital, you wear a mask. So while the Kuchisake Ana of the Edo period might have been more likely to conceal her ghastly smile under a paper fan, it's no surprise that the 20th century equivalent wears a surgical mask. In this moment of time, the terror of what lies beneath the mask takes on new meaning. But perhaps it was there all along. 
The wearing of this mask makes Kuchisaki Ona seem safe, approachable, non-threatening, while removal of a mask, especially now, can be interpreted as a deliberate threat, in this modern case of spreading disease. But considering that Kuchisaki Ona, in the style of many Onryo, is almost always cast as a woman, perhaps there is a deeper meaning to the implied threat of her unmasking. For context, it's important to know more about the various origin stories that sprung up to explain this tortured yokai. Once again, paralleling Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker in The Dark Knight, with his inconsistent and contradictory myriad of background stories as to how he got his facial scars, the Slipmouth woman has a wide array of backstories of her own. As an Onryo, her vengefulness may have something to do with being wronged in life to inspire that malevolence after death. In some versions of the tale, she was an adulterous wife, caught by a husband and punished for infidelity with her infamous mutilation. In some, she's the victim of an, of an eventually deadly spousal abuse. In others, she is the concubine of a samurai who is wounded or killed or both as payback for his actions, not hers. With these cases, the demure allure followed by violent vengeance seems a sinister payback for the misogynistic violence that she suffered in life, taken out on those who would underestimate her power. So in a way, the mask is this veil presenting something harmless that actually has quite a bit of harm behind it. There is also a much more modern backstory. While many other Onryo follow this pattern of revenge for violence taken on them with violence after their death against others, Kuchisaki Ona has an alternate and uniquely superficial alternate backstory, both revolving around standards of beauty. One such background is simply that she was attacked by another woman jealous of her looks. Wishing to mar her pretty face, she cut at the edges of her mouth with two kitchen knives or daggers or scissors. Yet another involves a botched dental or medical procedure, with an even more specific version reporting that Kuchisake Ana was an extremely vain person and became addicted to plastic surgery, never satisfied with the results, until one operation too far left her horribly scarred to a degree that could not be reversed with further surgery. In anguish at the destruction of that which mattered to her most, on which she judged her entire self-worth, she took her own life. In death, she spends eternity trying to validate her beauty, murdering those who won't flatter her, but also cursing those that do find her beautiful to look just like her. In Pandemonium on Parade, an excellent companion to his Book of Yokai, both of which were unmatched sources for this episode, Michael Dillon Foster reaches beyond the rush to lump her in with the magical animals, trolls, and other monsters in the important but cartoonish world of Mizuki's canonized yokai, to delve into how Kuchisaki Ana comments on issues of gender and standards of beauty. The timing of her sightings coincide with the women's liberation movement in the West and at home in Japan. Masking over the mouth connotes the culturally accepted demure silence of women prior to feminism, and horror of unmasking believes the fear of what oppressed women might have to say. While the backstory of maintaining her beauty turns the extensive work women go through to live up to unreasonable normative beauty standards into a tragic horror story. Foster also offers a flip side take on the mask as a form of defiance and protest, with power strengthened through anonymity, which is indeed one of Kuchisaki Ana's advantages. You don't know who she is. 
For deeper cultural analysis of Slipmouth Woman, I cannot recommend Pandemonium and Parade enough, as it unpacks several other fascinating yokai as well, some of whom we may feature in future episodes of Monsters in My Podcast. But before we wrap things up, I cannot let you just wander off into the night without some word of advice of what you should do if you do encounter Kuchisakeona. From what we heard earlier, it would seem that any interaction with the Slipmouth Woman would end in tragedy ranging from mutilation to death. But is there a way to escape her bloody clutches? Well, as with her backstory, there are conflicting details. The least promising is that, in fact, if you say yes to both, she won't harm you at all, but may later follow you home and attack you while you sleep. Others have said that calling her average-looking, instead of beautiful or ugly, leaves her at an impasse, but I personally wouldn't risk that one. I think I'd rather be considered hideous than average, but maybe that's just me. But the two most common remedies are also the most peculiar, and by the logic of magical creatures, monsters, fairy folk, and yokai, I would put my trust in the idiosyncratic and weird. One of these solutions is to distract her by throwing money or candy, as she apparently has a powerful sweet tooth. Yet another only suggests saying the word pomade three times. Yeah the hair product, to which she will cower or run away or even vanish. For someone who's so obsessed with her appearance, it does make a little bit of sense that maybe she'd be afraid of hair product. I don't know. But of course, I think we are missing the obvious. If you see a lone woman standing still on the road with a mask on, keep your distance, like you would with anybody. And if she takes off that mask, run. This is good advice anytime, but truly right now in 2020, I can't stress this enough. Wear your mask and practice social distancing. Thank you for listening to Monster in My Podcast. I'm sure it was a bit messy uh, of a horror show. But this is the inaugural episode after all, and we'll be working out the ghouls and goblins as we go. Here would be a good time to let you know how you can support the podcast. Unfortunately, as of right now, I'm still setting up the Patreon. In the meantime, you can check us out at Monsters in My Podcast on Instagram. And if you're feeling generous or simply don't want Kuchisakeona slicing you up, you can throw some money over at I Am Sean's Cash in the Cash app. Next episode, we'll be exploring the sooty nighttime streets of early industrial England to follow, or more likely be followed by, Spring Heel Jack. And remember, no matter what anybody tells you, monsters rule, okay? okay?